Thank you for joining us on the Lake Point Church Podcast. Our mission is to help people connect with Jesus in everyday life through everyday relationships. Be sure to check back each Tuesday for new messages, and we hope that you're encouraged by today's word. Well, good morning, Lake Point. How are we all doing today? Yeah, I feel all right. Everyone feel like the warm weather coming at you? Is anyone excited about that? And if you not fooled that 48 degrees is still actually cold, no matter how much warmer it is, it's still not actually warm today. Uh, but hey, um, hey, we're in a series that we put together, like Melissa said, and uh, we're, we're calling it Between Two Lands. And it's a slice of the Bible that goes under the label of Exodus. It's the migration of the people of Israel out of a bad land of slavery into a good promised land that God had in mind for them. And this story, it goes back 3,400 years ago. That's a really darn long time when you think about it. And we're going back to it, not to make all of you historians, but because this should make sense to our spiritual journeys. Okay, so uh, at least it makes sense to me. Um, About three years ago, I got to what I would call the lowest point of emotional health that I know that I've ever been in. Okay, I mean, maybe there's other times. I'm not an emotionally healthy person to begin with, and so maybe I've been less healthy, but it was just at this time three years ago that I happened to be aware of it. And as God has walked me out of that time and has continued to walk me through some remnants of that time, the journey with Jesus has most resembled the way he walked with Israel back in that there between two lands experience. And I'm, I'm convinced that whether it's today, right now, whether this stuff makes sense to what you're going through in your life right now, or if it's coming later, it will come for all of us. Because God will move us from the place where we have been. And he will give you a new promise. Like, I, I love that song we were singing in the second song, I think it was today, about, man, I'm holding the promises of God, and I know it's going to be true, and I know he's going to get me there But the fact of the matter is you aren't there automatically. Just because you left the old spot, you're not where you've been, it doesn't mean that you're yet to where you're going. And when you're between those two lands, it can feel dry, it can feel dangerous, it can feel a whole lot like a desert. But it's in those soul-searching experiences in being a desert spot where you got nothing but Jesus in your life that things really start to take shape. So that's why this means something to me, and I'm hoping I can teach this in a way that it means something to you as well. Uh, Let me give you a recap on the story thus far. And i got to be a little careful with it, because like the last two weeks, I did a sermon before the sermon, and uh, man, that can be a long darn Sunday. So uh, let me me try to be a little bit shorter. Go back and listen to the other messages if I'm not making enough sense of it for you right now. So uh, this thing called Passover happened where God, in very dramatic fashion, after the ten plagues, welcomed Israel to leave their land of slavery in Egypt with their freedom. And on faith, they they walk out as free people. They don't take many steps out of the old land into their between land space before a major crisis hits. They get up to an ocean and wonder, like, why am I here right now? Don't don't know where God's going to go with with a giant sea in front of me. And then on their back, a giant army from Egypt comes in to close in on them. You got dead ends all around you. And it's it's when they're in the space and their families with them, their kids, everything their own, like everything is about to die right there in that moment. And then God's got a two-step process to get them out of there. One was be still. What's going to happen next has to be something you watch me do. So keep your eyes open and listen for what I'm going to do with you next. And number two, get up and get on with it. 
when God did finally open the Red Sea, it's just like, like God just did the impossible thing right in front of them. They still had to, on faith, get up and get on with the way out that God had given them. And, and, and they did. And it was exciting. And, uh, you know, at this point in the story where we're landing in today, crisis is over. God averted the crisis. And you see, man, God can be handed, handed, handed my trust in the worst of circumstances. This is what he pulled off. And they pull out a celebration and they write worship songs to commemorate the greatness of what God has done for them in that day. And now, now what? Now what do you do from here? You're in the promised land? No, not, not even close. They're going to be out in this desert between land experience for a really long time. And we, we got to appreciate that. That although they've just exited a major trust-shaping event, trust isn't an event. Trust looks a lot more like a 100-mile march or a 1,000 miles or however many miles you got to go with Jesus to find out and substantiate the fact that you, in fact, can trust him. So we're landing in the story today as these guys are continuing their walk, walking out into a desert every day that they wake up to. And we're going to see how they handle it. All right, we're in Exodus chapter 15 right now. If you've got a Bible on you, I encourage you to open it. If you don't, we do put the words on the screen for you as well. It says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water because it was bitter. This is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Okay, not not a very flattering story if you're the one who this is being told of, right? They're grumbling. And uh, the Hebrew word for grumbling here uh, is is, is, is loon lean. Can everyone say it with me? Loon lean. All right, then you know you're Hebrew scholars, all right? Loon lean isn't just grumbling. It's a complaint attached with a murmur, all right? So to loon lean is to stir up everyone else around you with what's frustrating you and bothering you. It's to stir up everyone and it's to be stirred up by what other people are saying as well. This isn't a moment of frustration where you say something under your breath and you wish you could take it back, but it doesn't matter because you... No, this is like active mutiny kind of stuff. Let's all get angry and upset about this together. Let's get mad at God. Let's get mad at our leaders and, and let's throw rocks at them, right? Is it understandable? Sure, it's understandable. Three days without water is a really, really long time to be uh, without water. But is it expected? No. Three days is a really, really short time to forget everything that you just saw God do. You know, aside from those witnesses who got to experience the actual resurrection of Jesus and they were a witness to the Son of God coming back to life, apart from those guys, it's the slice of these guys in Israel that have just witnessed the greatest miraculous moments that our pages of scriptures have to offer us. And they, they saw it, and three days later, it's like they forget it. Okay, so here, here's where the story goes. Uh, God does a miracle that day, and he makes the bitter water drinkable. You know, turns out if God can part the sea, God can be trusted to filter your drinking water, okay? So, like, that they, they know now. 
And also days later, they lead, God leads them to a place called the Twelve Springs. And in that place, they have plenty of water to camp and, and kind of reset. And so once again, God proves himself trustworthy in the middle of the crisis. So you think they're going to take these moments, right, and apply that trust to the next crisis they're going to go through. That's what one would think. Eventually, though, here's where the next story we land in. It's specifically now six weeks since they left the land of Egypt. Here's the next incident that occurs in chapter 16. It says, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we ate pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. So we got some more loon leaning going on. I mean, it seems a little bit dramatic, like if, if, if I can't have a steak, then you might as well kill me right now, right? Well, then again, steak is one of God's greatest creations. And if it got to the point where we got no steak on earth, but God's got some porterhouse in heaven, I might be like, hey, sign me up. I am done with this world as well, okay? So, I mean, you get where they're coming from a, a little bit, but again, you, you got to wonder, Have you guys paid attention to anything in your own story up until this point? uh, Chapter 16, still verse 13 now. It says, That evening quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And that, my friends, is how the name manna was created. A very literal translation of the word manna is, what is it? And you actually got to say it with the attitude. It doesn't make sense in, in, unless you do. Like, you got to say it like my kids when my wife serves them a, a home-cooked meal. What is it? Right? Like, on a Friday night, God forbid that I serve anything besides a frozen pizza or mac and cheese. Right? Like, actually took some time cooking this thing. My kids do like broccoli, though, so, I mean, I'll I'll give them a positive shout-out on that. But, you know, a lot of times it comes back with, what is it? Numbers 11 tells us that manna is like a coriander seed. It looked like resin, if that makes any sense to you. Sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words, so here's what those items really do look like. Um, They said they ground it up. They made it into cakes. Verse 31 says it tasted like wafers made with honey. So I almost picture like a, like a waffle. Anyone know what a waffle is? Like I had no idea what waffles were till uh, my sister living in Scotland brought some back one time and now all of a sudden they're at Costco, all the, they're like all over the place now, right? So like when you talk about grounding up the stuff into a thin wafer that tastes like honey, I picture a waffle. And it looks a lot better than uh, manna as I imagined it before. I thought it was like this mushy oatmeal kind of stuff. Texture-wise, taste-wise, they weren't doing all that bad. But still, three meals every single day of waffle, And that's going to get old too, isn't it? Thus the question about where's the steak. Here comes the quail. It says these, uh, right here, these, these guys look pretty tasty, don't they? I mean, uh, it actually happens where there's a large quantity uh, of quail from Europe and West Asia that will migrate its, their way into Africa, and all God had to do was send the right kind of wind to, to bring these little guys down into racquetball range. 
Like, it, there were, this was not a hard target to take down, and all of a sudden, they, they, they got their protein flying through the camp. And that was their routine. After their complaint, manna and quail, manna and quail. And you think that maybe they would learn not to trust, or they would learn to not complain and instead trust God with their needs. Do you you think that's where it's going to go? What do you think? Give me a guess. Yeah. Moving on here to where we're really at in the story, Exodus 17.3. It says, but the people were thirsty for water while they were there. So another spot, repeating the same kind of crisis, you're out in the desert. And they grumbled against Moses. They said, why'd you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Kind of sounds like a broken record, doesn't it? Uh, more loon-leaning going on, more, more drama. Like, I, I can't figure out how to survive in this moment. I think I'm going to die. It looks, God, like you brought me out here to die. I got to understand what he's doing with him. There's actually a good God and a good plan behind this because it actually takes a desert experience in your life where you got nothing else, not even the basics of survival, whether it's your physical health, your emotional health, whatever it is. Sometimes you got to be in that place where like nothing else to get you through this day is present besides God. And you got to find yourself turning to him to find yourself sufficient and to, to, to find, excuse me, to find him sufficient to respond to those needs. And, and, and God's not actually leading them through the desert. At this point, he's leading them further and further into the desert so that they can ask these kinds of questions. Who am I out here? How did I get here? Do I want to go back to the land I came from? And is this God who took me out here a God that I can trust? There's so many formative things that can take place when you are between two lands, but are they using it for that? And more important question for you and I is, are we? Are we? You kind of like how pastors do that? It's like, yeah, I'm telling a story. And I was like, okay, we're going to turn it back to your life. I feel so predictable, like every, every Sunday morning here. But these are the kind of questions we got to ask. And, you know, when I set out to really put this message together, I had an ending in mind. A real clear, simple ending. All you're going to take it home, and it's going to apply to your life, and it's going to be amazing. But the more I studied and sat with God this past week in preparation for it, uh, a second ending came up, and then a third all the way to the point at which I got six endings for you right now, which is real kind of scary when the pastor's halfway through and now the six points are coming out. But okay, here's what you're going to do with this, all right? The reason I think God gave me six different endings is because I think that you are in so many different spots. That between two lands can mean so many different things. And when you're grinding it out in the desert, how do, how do I keep walking with God instead of turning this thing into complaint when it's just blah and icky and I just wake up and there's like there's sand around me every day? There's a lot of different ways to respond to that. So as I go through these, one of these is meant for you. That's what I believe in God, that one of these endings is for you. The other five, go ahead and throw them out. Your job is to listen for which one did God really have in mind for you when I made this ending way more complicating than it needed to be. All right, here we go. Ready? Number one, keep walking through your desert and quit looking for a knockout punch for your enemy. For too long, too many of us think that if I can just 
get, put this one problem to rest, if I can get this one enemy far away, if I can at least deal with this one issue, then I can go on with a happy, productive, peaceful life, okay? Just like throw that knockout punch, boom, bam, we're done. It's laying there, and now I can go on. You are way too smart to be thinking that way. Because if you were to get done with that problem, you know what's waiting for you next? A different problem, right? You've been in life way too long to be thinking this way. At some point, the shift in your thought and in your prayer life is not, God, help me get over this problem. But God, how do I walk with you through whatever problems are in front of me? That's what this is about. Okay, I, I had to learn this past summer, like what I was meditating on with God every single day is why he called the, 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 the state of rest for my soul. Why, why did state of rest for my soul, why did he relate it to a yoke? A old school piece of farming equipment that, that very much has a burden and a load behind you and you're pulling this thing, you're plowing a field with it. When God said, my yoke is easy, my bird is light, I got rest for your soul, why did he go back to a yoke anyway? And the fact of the matter is because you're always going to have to walk through something. What makes the difference is who you are walking with. And what are you experiencing with that person? If you were to rewind through some of the worst seasons in your life, some of the most terrible things that happened to you, there are some good memories attached to it because a lot of times you had someone there for you who loved you. And in fact, that, that hard pushing through it all is what made that love come to the surface all the more so. And that's what it is like with Jesus. Jesus loves you. And you don't know until you got to walk through some stuff, until the stuff feels heavy. And when you see his love alongside of you, walking it out together, well, that, that just changes the whole experience. And that applies wherever you go in your life from there. You know, jump over to Psalm 23, and I think it's really interesting. Man, this is like one of the most read scriptures in the Bible, right? Lord is my shepherd. I don't lack anything. He's going to lie to me. Uh, he's going to lead me by quiet waters. He's going to make me lie down in green pastures. Man, this is a picture of peace, right? Remember what else is in there? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, like this is as dark and as evil collapsing in on me as it gets, he's still going to prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. There's no knockout punch for my enemies. He's hanging out right here on the table with me. That's the picture of what God's provision and God's love looks like. We got to get to the point where we're trying to just quit trying to throw that knockout punch to the enemies and the obstacles all around you and realize this is like the 100-mile march. But if you're with someone who loves you and knows you and you're safe with him in the middle of it, that, that's what changes everything. Okay, that, that, that was for some of you. We'll see if number two is maybe for others, all right? Number two, complaint needs a vision check, all right? If you're in a state of complaint right now, you, you need to get your vision kind of, kind of adjusted here uh, because honest concern for a situation, that, that's a good thing. That invites God to be what you need God to be in the middle of it, okay? So it's not your job to pretend like you don't got problems. It's not your job to pretend like you're not in over your head. God knows you're over your head. You know you're over your head. So it's a right to be honest and put this on the table, but to see that the God who gave his son for you will not just leave it at that. He'll also graciously, along with Jesus, give you all things, But when we are in a state of need and we choose to leapfrog over that state of honest concern, just leap forward over it and then like land into complaint, complaint shoots the messenger. 
Complaint shoots the message. Complaint, complaint shoots the whole thing around you. Like when you read Israel's story, don't you get the impression like they were supposed to respond differently at some point along the way? And that's why I felt like in my between lands experience that that's what God has been teaching me as well. Where if I'm honest, like if I were to, I, I had to start retelling the story of what God had done for me before I asked him for what I needed him to do next. I had to remind myself of the other times I experienced his presence. I had to remember the times I prayed a big thing for Lake Point Church and then God actually responded. I had to remember the times when he showed up in a big way for my my marriage, my kids. I had to remember the last time I felt like I was crashing and didn't know if I was going to make it. And he still showed up. And I made it. It's actually looking backwards to what God had done with me before that widened my vision enough to, to be able to say, well, based on where I'm at right now in my state of crisis, here's how I can now expect God to respond to it. And that informed my whole prayer life. You see, Israel could have and should have remembered the 10 plagues, remembered the Passover. They should have remembered the Red Sea and had a wide enough view to say, if that's who my God was to me before... And this is what I can believe he will be to me again. Complaint is a very nearsighted thing. So fixated on the issue that's right in front of us. Whereas if we were widening our vision to, to what God has done over the course of a lifetime, I think that's what takes us into the prayers we need in this moment right now. Number three. All right. You still looking for your ending? Any, anyone find theirs already in the first two? No, we're all searching our heads. Okay, so those two weren't necessary. Let's hope this one works. Number three, daily bread isn't tasty, but it sure does keep you alive. All right, um, I, I see so much parallel between manna in our scriptures and the classic prayer that Jesus taught all of us to pray, give us this day, Lord, our daily bread. Yeah. No, no steak, I guess. We're just praying for, for bread. But sometimes bread is all you need to stay alive. And I actually, and that's how it was with manna. It just showed up every morning. It wasn't great. It wasn't amazing. Yes, you can make a stroop waffle out of it. But it's still, at the same time, this wasn't impressive stuff. It just kept them alive. And I think there was something to the fact that it had to be a daily thing that they prayed for as, as well. Jesus taught us to pray that way, and that's how it was for Israel as well. You know, like when manna first fell on the ground, everyone tried to like store it in pots and to collect it. Like, let's keep this stuff to last another week, last another month, and, and the stuff all rotted and, and, and maggots took over by, by the next day. What, why? It's because what we are going to get from God, we have got to go out and get every single morning. And for some of you, this is what God is really trying to get through to you on. Like if I rewind through my prayer life, there's so many times in life where I have been praying for a map. I've been praying for like a, a, full, a foolproof, uh, I'm really getting my tongue tied today, like, like a blueprint, right? Like something that's explained so well that I can follow it tomorrow even if God doesn't show up and even if I can't hear from him feels wrong to say that out loud. It, it is wrong. But man, the same thing with praying for resources. Like, God, I'm not just praying, give me enough so that I can make it through this day. Give me my daily bread. He's like, you know, I'm praying so that I got enough for tomorrow as well. 
and for next month. And I, you know, I'd like to know that God gives me enough today that I will last another year in the event that he doesn't show up for another year. That's an honest evaluation where my prayers have often taken me. It's not for daily bread. God, it's give me enough stuff that if I can't find you tomorrow, if you disappear tomorrow, I still got a way to make it. And what God's saying is here, listen, <laughs> I love you. And my love can be found new every single day if you talk to me, if you look to me, if you turn to me. And so, no, I'm not going to fill up your storehouse, Brian. I'm going to put you in a spot where you can know my love on a daily basis. Just come looking for it all over again. Listen, some days God, someday God will take you to the promised land. And when you get there, I do believe that God has a big storehouse full of all sorts of things for you to enjoy when you get there. But not before you've been through the between two lands space of learning to wake up every day with nothing but Jesus and him saying, I will give you enough to make it today. You turn around and you talk to me about the same thing tomorrow. And there's been windows in my life where God actually like told me going into it for the next year, the next year and a half, that's what you and I and our relationship is going to be. So kind of settle in there. And maybe that's where you're at as well. Number four. Number four, you'll, you'll hit a point where sensual spirituality needs to be purged if you're going to mature further in your faith. All right, this one kind of requires a little bit of explanation uh, where all of us uh, get, get, got to... We get in a groove, if you're going with God long enough, a groove at which you're used to experiencing him, relating him to, to, to feel him, okay? But there's also going to be points where you're like, it's just not working. Or I can't seem to feel God right now. Has anyone ever caught themselves saying something like that? Why doesn't it just feel like God is... You are like the most participatory group today. Either you are already on the spiritual platform by which <laughs> we don't need to be gathering or you're all lying right now. I can't tell which, which, which one it is, but, but Jesus knows, okay? I'm just going to point, point that out, okay? When you get to that spot where you can't really feel God the way you used to, you're, you're going to think something's wrong with you. Like, like, you're not passionate enough about him. Like, you become the lukewarm Christian, and so in that moment, you're going to go back, and you're going to try to sing all the same songs you used to sing. You're just going to try to sing them louder. You're going to go back to the scriptures where you learned something before, and you're going to get all the more serious about hearing uh, God from that and there, and you're not just going to listen to one pastor. You're going to get another podcast, another podcast after that, and it's still at the end of the day, you're going to back up and say, I still can't feel him like I used to. And it's because he's teaching you a new way to be close to him that you're not used to. A way that's not dependent on emotionalism. A way that's not dependent on your five senses. There is a version of love that's so deep and so rooted that it's not about the five senses experiencing it right there in the moment. John of the Cross, 16th century, he explains it like this. He says, it's like a mother who refuses her breasts and sets the child down to walk on their own two feet so is the love of God who cares for us too much to allow us the comforts that once grew us. There is a way to mature in love that's not about immediate comfort. It's almost like a marriage that's been at it for 25 years, 50 years, where you are assured of the love of each other, even on the days that the gifts don't show up and you can't feel the touch and it just doesn't feel like it used to be. It says, God is saying, I want to carry you over to a spot where it's far deeper 
than the five senses. <laughs> but for you to see it, he's got to turn the five senses off. There's a lot more we could say about that one, but uh, moving on. Number five, uh, there are good ways and bad ways when you crack as a spiritual leader. Do I, do I got time to go into another one? Um, yeah, um, I got approval from Matt Timmons. That's, uh... <laughs> all right, all right. This, uh, I wasn't sure I'd have time, but Matt says we get time, so here, here we go, okay? Um, this is a question of not, not if, but when and how. And we, we got to learn to pray for each other because there are, you, you all can name good pastors, good parents, good people who once followed Jesus, that, that they cracked. And when they fell, they fell so hard that they took everyone else down around with them. Okay, people will crack. And there's a good way for it to happen. So this is kind of like a sidebar issue. I didn't teach this out of the text yet. Um, but this is what happened for Moses as the guy who's trying to carry everyone else through their between-two-lands experience, it got too heavy eventually. Fast-forwarding later in the story, you find this in Numbers 11. He says, he asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing at me. Give us meat. I cannot carry all these people myself. The burden is too heavy for me. This is how, if this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I found favor in your eyes, do not let my face, do not let me face my own ruin. Who does he sound like? He sounds like all the people and all their burdens that he's been carrying. I can't. I didn't ask for this. I didn't deserve this. It feels, God, like you let me out here to die, so you might as well just kill me. That'd be the merciful things right now. He's, he's in an all-out emotional collapse right now. And this is, you're all going to hit this at some point. If, if you take the call of Jesus to make disciples seriously, so this is not like uh, option B for the mature Christians kind of thing. Jesus turns around and says, as my disciples, I'm sending you out. Go make disciples of all nations. It is going to be, for anyone who wants to grow in Jesus, it is going to be on you to help other people in their journey as well. Uh, to carry someone sitting next to you, to carry your kids, to carry your, your family, your, your co-workers, your neighbors, whoever it is that God puts into your life, someone at church in your missional community, it's going to be your job to carry someone else. But when you carry your journey long enough and other people's journeys long enough, you, you do get tired and, and the cracks start to show. Uh, but you don't have to stay under all that weight. Um, here's two things I'd say to you. Here's, here's how you crack well, okay? Uh, one, you've got to realize you're not as alone as you think you are. Uh, when, when Moses got to his meltdown, uh, God helped him lean into 70 other elders in Israel. He's like, you don't have to carry this. I'm, I'm going to spread out the weight amongst 70 people. It's not just you. Kind of reminds me of the time when Elijah, you know, he was throwing his arms up and he was saying, I, there, there's no one left who follows you but me, God. He's like, hold on, hold on, Scooter. You got 7,000 here who still haven't bent their knee to another God besides the one true one. That's his message to these guys. You're not alone. There's other people around you right now. Just look for them. Lean into them. Let me supply them for you. Those who I have known to crack poorly in their faith are the ones who cracked alone. 
you, you know, they, uh, they either thought they were alone, that they couldn't turn to anyone, or they purposely took their issues to a secret place where they would be alone. It's when we are alone uh, that the, that's where the real problems happen. Okay, secondly, just as important, it's going back to the God who goes with you. Um, Moses, earlier in his story, navigated the, the crisis moments a little bit better than we just read in Numbers 11. Back in Exodus 33, Moses said to him, he's talking to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Uh, you, you read the story a little more, and it's like you say, I ain't going if you're not going. And sometimes when you're carrying other people's journeys, you get all these ideas and so many things you want to do to help, and you got the time frame of when it's going to happen. Sometimes you can run ahead without God. And it's a reality check for any of us who carry someone else's journey. You can only go as fast as God is going. We're still his followers. As much as you might be a leader in someone else's faith, you can still do it better than follow Jesus. And to have those reality moments where you go back and say, God, I can only carry my kids as far as you're carrying them right now. And I can only be my marriage where you're meeting it right now. And I can only make this growth happen if you're set on it. That, that's a good prayer. That, that, that's one that's based in reality. So you, you go ahead and you do your meltdown after that. But you're going to melt down right into the presence of Jesus where it's safe. See, I told you we might not want me to do that one, but here we go. No, okay, number six. Then I'm really done. Uh, trust. You know, I was uh, I spent some time this week. I was looking at the uh, speak wall that we got out there. Every slice of lumber there is representative of someone here at the church who, over the course of January, heard one word from God to guide their year. And as I walked through and I read them, you know which word was up there most? Trust. Um, I, I think it's uh, there's a reason for it too, because trust is the tie it all together of everything else God's doing with you. Trust is the experience that God is building between two lands. I mean, every moment that Israel experienced, every soul-searching moment went back to the thing of trust. Like, God opens the door, like, pack your bags, get ready to leave Egypt. Do you trust me? Hey, now you got an army at your back, you got a sea at your front. Are you going to trust me? It's time to get up and get on with it. Let's walk through this sea on dry ground. That water is going to stay there and your enemy's not going to reach you. It's an issue of trust. No water, trust. No food, trust. Trust, 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 trust. Like that, that is what the whole thing is all about when you're between two lands. You got nothing else going for you. Will you still trust me? And maybe for some of you, where you're at right now, the honest answer is... I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to trust you. And here's what you got to know is God is taking you out between two lands so that you will know. It's between two lands where the knowing happens. Can you put like all, all six of the, the points I, I did on the screen? Okay. Like, like, like when you're walking through the desert and you can't shake the enemy, you can't get the problems to go away, but all you can do is keep walking in the middle of the problems. Do you, do you trust me? When, when you're at the point of like, man, here's a complaint right now because if God was really God, he wouldn't take me to the edge of death all over again. He wouldn't lead me out to this place and then leave me here. Do you see the whole picture? Are you willing to trust? Daily bread. 
Man, I'm tired of eating this stuff. I'm tired of just getting by. I'm tired of just surviving. And instead, will you trust? You hit a point where I can't feel you anymore, Jesus. I used to be close to you. I used to know you were there. Right now, it sure feels like you left me. Do you trust he's bringing you closer? There are good ways for you to crack. Like, man, I've carried other people's load for, for as long as you've given me to. And it wasn't enough. And now I'm ending up as messed up as they are. And I can't do it anymore. And if you wanted me to go out here to this place, well, just take me away right now. But do you still trust? Between two lands is about God taking you to a spot where there is nothing else but him. You wake up one day and the next day and the next day with nothing but manna on the ground just to keep you alive. God's saying, do you really want to know me? Well, let me take you out to a place where there is nothing but me. And you take enough laps with me. You go enough miles with me. So you receive my provision enough, experience my love thoroughly enough. Then you'll know what it means to trust. Let's pray. God, that's where our hearts want to be. We think but it's something you got to open up. Because honestly, a lot of times when we're here, it, it feels a little like Israel of, God, it looks like you took me out to another place just, just to die. I got to pray for daily bread to show up on the ground all over again. Might be kind of blah, might be kind of average, might just get us through another day. But I pray that you would get us through that next day and string enough of those days together till we really know who you are and therefore we can answer the question, who who am I? Not because of the last name I was born with or the country I come from or the family you've given me right now, but who am I inside of you named by the God who gave me my first breath? Take us into the soul-searching places. And when we come out, may we come out with a trust. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening today. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we'd love to hear all about it. Send an email to info at lakepointmuskego.org. The best way to keep up to date with all that's happening at Lake Point is to follow us at Lake Point Muskego on Instagram and Facebook. We hope to see you again here soon.